Golay presents Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. 100% Irish and direct to your door. Hello, esteemed members of the Recorded Historical Society, and welcome to Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. My name is Ed Smith, and this is our weekly crate dive into the chosen records and life choices of another gracious guest. On this week's foray, we hear from broadcaster, columnist and former GP, Kira Kelly, who allowed me to take up way too much of her post-show adrenaline rush to chat very openly and very, very honestly about her life and career. I've met Kira briefly on and off over the years, but I will always recall how she very kindly reached out privately to me after I had my heart attack to offer any advice she could, which I thought was a class act. So Kira Kelly has always been a solid citizen in my books. And I have to say, I liked her even more after our chat for Recorded History. There's a couple of real moments here that took us both by surprise. She's a woman who knows and loves her music as well. And as you'll also hear, has more than a decent singing voice. So let's get into it. The former doctor will see you now. Kira Kelly, thank you so much for uh, hightailing it up the stairs after your show. Having set the country to rights, no doubt, yet another morning on News Talk Breakfast. It was a short walk. It was it was no yeah. trouble. And can I ask, when you finish the show of that intensity, uh, is the adrenaline yeah. a real Oh, for sure. Real issue. Yeah, then? we do a, a kind of a post-production meeting and we literally, well, myself, like we, we, a little bit and then you go home and then you kind of crash and you're like a bit of a... So there is that crash. Yeah, you're a bit of a dish rag um, for maybe most most of the, just most of the rest of your life. Driving home with all this pent up... Driving home for, and, and then going are home... You, and are you road like, ragey then in the car a little bit? Actually, I drive home like a, a meek little lamb. Um, and I think a lot of it comes out in, in the like the, the meeting, the post-production meeting is generally quite... Okay. Quite buzzy, they, shall we they, say. They bear the brunt. Yeah. Well, do, you, do you listen to music on the way home then, would you? Or do you listen to the radio? It depends. On Monday to Thursday, I probably listen to current affairs, truthfully, to try and stay abreast mm-hmm. of things. And then I probably listen to the news at one and then I listen to the drives. And it's that thing that you're trying to keep across things. Um, but very often on a Friday. Oh, go on. I go, feck this. I'm sick of my own voice let alone anybody else's and uh, yeah I would listen to music Okay so Friday's your And at the weekends I would listen to music and in the evenings I would listen to music outside of I I listen to a lot of talk radio Well you have to Yeah it is part of my my job to Mm. listen to a lot of talk radio but um, I certainly like to listen to music whenever I can This is episode 20 odd now of Recorded History so I've been able to kind of categorise the reactions I get when I ask potential guests or guests oh yeah you're not a potential you're a real guest uh, to pick their three albums mm-hmm. so I've got them narrowed it down to three ca- well three categories yeah so there's the Gavins after Gavin Riley, who reply instantaneously and very concisely with three very distinct answers as if he's been waiting all his life for this question. okay well that's obviously not me you're, at all you're, you're not a Gavin then there's the, what I call the Neil Delamere oh yeah so the Neil Delamere's are like getting blood out of a turnip and it's a, a kind of excruciating extraction Day by day, uh, I call it the, the Neil mm-hmm. Knight Delamere's. But uh, I'm sure he loves that. No, yeah, no, it's fine. We thrashed it out on the podcast. But then is the cigarettes. You're a cigarette. So when I ask Sigrid to do this, the podcast, agon- I like being in with cigarettes. Yeah, so you're a cigarette. Yeah. So agonized, it seems. Yeah, how cool I am that I know who Sigrid is. There you go. Let's drop that in. Uh, so you're a cigarette in so much as I got the three eventually, 
But then yeah, you were I wasn't very conscious. Really, but I was thinking about it, and I genuinely was. You were. About you were it. I really sensed that, and you also then were very conscious of sending me the artists that didn't make the final, which three. was a very long list. And can I just say, some of the artists on this that you thought weren't quite good enough here didn't quite make the grade. Yeah, here well, at Kelly, uh, an artist called Prince. Yeah, Van Morrison, Cosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Yeah, and have you know, Nirvana, David Bowie. Yeah, Harry Styles. And then rather beautifully, Mr. Billy Bragg. Yeah, um, I would have listened to Billy Bragg's Don't Try This at Home. You know those albums that you listen to like they're one song mm. and you're 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 about to sing the intro when the when the previous song ends because it's it's a continuous yeah, thing. Yeah. But bear in mind my age, right? So when I like I'd have been away for summers and things when I was a student, and you might have had three cassette That's tapes you with you. Yeah. And you would play them over and over on a loop. So so they became like soundtracks to your life and they became like, as I say, one continuous song and Billy Bragg was one of those. Quite an eclectic taste you have as well. Yeah, I'm a big, what you didn't know when you asked me is I'm a big music fan. Yeah, this is good. I picked the right person for the right podcast. So let's get into it. Kira Kelly, great, three great choices. Starting off with, mm, arguably my favorite of the three. Okay. If I can say. It's a great album. It is a great album. It's 1985. Kira Kelly, what is the first record in your recorded history? It is Prefab Sprouts, Steve McQueen. And in 1985, I was 14. And you got to remember that they do say 14 is the age you kind of cement your music. This has come taste. up almost yeah. every single podcast. Yeah, it, it is yeah. the age. And I would have owned um, the first two of these albums on cassette type. Mm. Um, and the first one I would have listened to on what I also got when I was 14 for Christmas, my Ghetto Blaster. Oh, wow. So I had a Ghetto Blaster. Okay. Uh, I don't even know if you can say Ghetto Blasters anymore. But anyway, I, I, I had a Ghetto Blaster. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I I even remember... The Greystones Ghetto, by the way. The Greystones Ghetto. Yeah. Coming to you from the Greystones Massive. Um, and, I, and I had Steve McQueen and I didn't have... Like mixtapes were the thing. Like I didn't actually yeah, own a huge amount of albums. I recorded things off the radio or you swapped things with your friends or your friend would record the thing. Like if somebody had a, a, a Get A Blaster with two cassettes, they were golden. I only had one. They were like a record company. Uh, they were they, they were they were like producing. They were like a like a sound engineer. Little HMV. Um so so I didn't have like we didn't have a huge amount of money and we didn't have um a huge amount of stuff. Like you didn't own stuff the way people now do or the way my kids do or whatever. So Jesus, I sound like Angela's ashes. But anyway, so I had this album and I would have, this is an album that was very seminal in my teens. And I tried to pick albums from different points in my life um, because this was when I was, that thing you get, and I often think of Katie Lang's The Constant Craving. Teenage years are all about yearning and you don't even know what you're yearning for half the time. It's, mm. it's probably partly sex, partly love, partly finding your tribe. But or everything maybe, is in technical, or, or isn't it? Or yourself or whatever it is. And and there's some really lovely kind of poignant songs on this that I would have listened to over and over and over again, probably in the dark, in my box room, in my single bed, on my ghetto blaster, in my kind of check knitted red and black jumper that like people wore in, the, in that era that looked like you were, uh, uh, you know, a fan of Simple Minds or whatever, <laughs> and 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 that was that was a point in yeah. time. So when you hear this on album the now, cusp of everything, it brings you right. Oh, well, for sure, absolutely. And like, yeah, yeah. I even fancied somebody called Johnny at the time, and it like, like when I look, you know, there's a song. Anyway, doesn't really matter. 
But it was just... Well, it was Johnny Johnny. It was Goodbye Lucille on the, on the record. Goodbye but the Lucille, single, number one. Yeah. Goodbye, uh, and that, that whole album captured the, the, the poignancy and the pathos, the yearning, the cusp of life that mm. you're on when you're about 14. So 85, it's an interesting one, this, in so much as this is their second album. Paddy McLoon, a genius. There's no argument there. No, none. I don't think anyone would step up for that one. But uh, interestingly, the producer of this guy called Thomas Dolby. Nothing yeah. to do with Dolby Atmos. I was very disappointed to discover. But but Thomas he, Dolby would be a famous yeah, producer of that of, era. Of his own right, yeah. yeah. Would, so, he'd have been known the way Mark Ronson or somebody exactly. would be known now. So he was a big deal. So For context, people. They, they met up um, and Paddy McAloon handed over 50 songs. This is such a common thread with the likes of the talent that you're dealing with here with Paddy McAloon. He just kind of almost cups his arms together and then dumps all these songs on Thomas Dolby's desk. He goes, pick your 11 or 12 favourites out of that. It's fine. I'm happy with them all, but you, you know. So Dolby picked pretty much the 11 that we have on Steve McQueen. They were hand-chosen by Thomas Dolby himself from all the songs that Paddy McAloon handed over. And remarkably, the majority of the songs are from 1979 when Paddy McAloon was 22 when he wrote these. Wow. So that's an, another insight into how great a songwriter he, st- you know, he still is, but he was then. And I think the production on this, it's it's Paddy McAloon meeting one of the great producers of his time, one of the great yeah. songwriters. The, sh- the, the production on this is, to this day, one of the best albums, best recorded albums. I think it's a very underrated yeah. 80s album. And I think it's a very underrated 80s band. I know people talk about Free Fab Sprout, but it's certainly not one of the, the big 80s bands. It's not like the Smiths or something. No, no, no. About, yeah, yeah. Which also were on my list and then discarded. But um, yeah, I, like like there is something. You just, another album that was on the list was Astral Weeks, but, and that was written when Van Morrison was 23. I just can't. And that is, yeah. that is... 23. I'm trying to think when I was 23. I could like barely time it. a maestro level yeah. of, of an album and it only didn't make the cut because I was thinking it's... I mean, I would have listened to it as well, like over and over, but it didn't make the cut just because of the, the different... All these albums I picked because of... the time of my life mm. as much as that's the, the whole idea yeah. like, it's not the greatest albums of all yeah. time it's just the ones that you, yeah. when you hear them go they would be a slightly different you're back in version. that box room oh yeah in I'm Greece. in the box room I can see the wallpaper do you know what I mean <laughs> what posters did you have up oh well you see now, the posters I had up weren't necessarily of the bands that I listened to because I was probably a little bit into indie music and that mm. kind of thing but the posters I had up were of bands I fancied so they were probably John Taylor from Duran Duran my sister had him up as well he was so hot he still is by the way yeah, just yeah. if you're listening John John always thinking of you call us um, she's doing the hand the phone hand call us her face. call me you know you want to <laughs> Taylor made but yes posters were a big thing and I don't know if they still are uh, my daughter 23 so I don't know my parents did let me do quite a cool thing I, I painted I was quite into doing things around the house like with my hands I'd be kind of a little creative that crafty yeah so I I was allowed to paint my room and I painted one wall white and then we turned it into a graffiti wall so myself and my friends were allowed writing it and drawing Uh. it and so I had a wall covered in the names of bands and the names of friends and the names of boys we fancied and all of that sort of stuff so uh, I would have been lying in the single bed with the Snoopy duvet under that wow quite the image (laughs) and speaking of your house growing up grew up in Greystones yeah uh, was there much music in the house yes, as a child? Huge, because my father was a choir master. Oh, wow. So, like, he was always singing. And he's a brilliant singer, actually. I sang for the Pope. 
and all that sort of stuff. So he was very involved in church music, which uh, despite my my atheism, um, I would still have a huge love of, actually. Um, so music was very big and all of my family sang. So, you know, family parties and things. It was always big mad sing songs into the night. Like so like everyone, like my grandparents sang, my aunts and uncles sang, my parents sang um, and my siblings all all sang. So very kind of musical and we were all made learn piano and all that kind so of So that thing. was, it was installed in you? Oh, a hundred, like hugely. Yeah. And I'm the youngest kid as well. So in my family. So I was listening to the music of my older siblings. That's very common. I, as yes. That was and I think out. that kind of brings you in. So I was, I had been thinking of what if I went even earlier than 14 and I was thinking, what would I, what would I go for? And I was thinking I would probably, an album that would stand out for me would say Rubber Soul by the Beatles. Okay. When I was about seven or eight, that was my wow. brother. had not, not bad. My brother had discovered the Beatles as a teenager and he was now playing them nonstop. Um, and so, you know, think like, so I was kind of lucky. I was introduced to quite a broad range of music quite young yeah. like I didn't just have to find my own way into it in my mid-teens well, just going to the list of artists that didn't make the three <laughs> you know, but like it is it's it speaks to yes a broad church but see I would be someone who would like lots of genres of music mm. do you know what I mean sort of like everything from kind of country or like like you name it I'll probably like something in it and we're going to concerts a thing then or were you able to get yeah, well, it yeah like again money was an option and bear in mind there wouldn't have been the kind of the array of bands yeah. coming here Um, not an option money was an obstacle rather so uh, the first concert I ever went to was Self Aid I don't know if you remember Self Aid oh my goodness 86 yeah I was 15 and yeah. we were watching it at home and it came up on the little ticker thing across the telly oh my god tickets still available and we said feck it and we jumped in a car and we all drove and who was playing was, did you two play that you two played Christy, Christy Moore, Moore played uh, Aslan I'm assuming yeah, yeah. Uh, I mainly remember you two and I remember Christy because because uh, they had that terrible song Do you remember? I don't know if you remember it. Uh, um, let's make it work uh, I can build a house and I can Dig a hole, and I can. It has not aged well. Something, that something, hole. and I can look. It was, it was climb a pole. It was a time of Bob Geldof, it was wasn't it? Desperate. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, really bad. Well intentioned. Well intentioned. But but you two did an amazing version of Bad at it. The same version that they did at Live Aid because it was a follow on to Live Aid, and it was you know if you were a teen in Dublin back in in, the, in 1986, mm. you 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 kind of thought it was cool. Well, you two to this day, I was four. 15 maybe when I saw you two Parky Cueve Parky Cueve I grew up so 93 Zoo TV tour still to this day the greatest yeah musical spectacle I have the first time I saw them was Croke Park in 87 I think it would be 87 and uh, Larry Mullen's brother um, gave me a cigarette God I was 16 I was so happy is he in any way as good looking as that very handsome man Larry Mullen Jr another very wow. handsome man like in his day to this he's, day he's still he's kind of like he's kind of up there with John Taylor to be perfectly yeah, honest. yeah I think a I beautiful think. looking man beautiful yeah yeah. anyway that's a lovely jump off point till we get to your later years so how would you describe your childhood was it a happy one I'm assuming yeah from what you've yeah seen? it was probably pretty ordinary mm. do you know what I mean like I grew up in a semi-D I the youngest of three kids uh Mum at home, dad out work. Like that was pretty normal. What did your dad work as? Well, he was a choir master, but he, he also had a had an had an office job. But he he ran two choirs, so um, I, don't, I hardly know what he did. It sounds like he's a spy or something. He worked in an office in like 
marketing. Yeah. I think it would. Just, I don't think that was he just came home and he did. You know, we didn't. We it was didn't a Chandler talk job. about that much. And what kind of child were you? Would you look back on? Mm. How would you describe? I was. Self? I was a little bit willful. Okay. I was also the youngest, and back in those days, parents already practiced kind of benign neglect. So by the time the youngest kid came along, and I was like six and a half years and eight years younger than the older two. Okay, yeah. I was sort of like, oh, listen, we're exhausted. Can you sort yourself out? Yeah. So I was. That, Are you fed, Grant? You know, yeah. I mean, wasn't like, wouldn't you, like, have you fed yourself? Yeah, like, exactly. you know, and like, so you know, yeah, self reliant, but but. I was a little bit like my teachers would have said I was kind of cheeky and stuff. So I was a bit of a devil. To the strong presence. Was, you know what? I think I was just quite uh, giddy and, and a bit and a bit, maybe a small bit cheeky. Nothing, nothing changes. Does it? Well, I was going to say, I'll just going to leave that hang there. And I'm going to put it, edit in a nice pause. <laughs> and then, and I'm going to carry on with the say, podcast. Say nothing. Um, jumping a, a fair bit ahead. You did a Bachelor of Commerce. Oh, yeah. Jesus. And then. You flipped, obviously, and then did medicine. Yeah. So, with Bachelor of Commerce, was that three years? And then, mm, terrible and then, mistake. And you did seven years of... Yeah, I, I, what I actually tried to do when I left school, when I did my leaving, my first choice in my CEO was drama in Trinity. Okay. And you had to do an interview for drama in Trinity. It wasn't just your, your leaving search results. And I made an absolute balls of it, to be honest, because I went into Trinity... And it was a bit sniffy in those days. Like it, it was a little bit sniffy and a little bit up itself. And I, and there was three doyens of the drama department sitting there and they said, why, young lady, would you like to do drama in Trinity? And I said, because I'd like to act. And that was the worst thing why? I could have said. And they said, this is not an acting course. This is drama. And I said, yeah, but that's cool. But like, I, I want to study drama. But so I don't understand. That. Why, but, is, why is that a bad answer to because this is not an acting. Oh, so we don't do acting. We don't act on. This is not acting. You you may act here, but you're not studying acting. And if you want to do an acting course, you should go to the Gaiety School of Acting. And I more or less said, oh, yeah, but please. my but my parents would never kind of let me do that, so I have to go to. So whatever. I, anyway, didn't fly at all. I actually knew I I knew I was losing the room. I knew I was, but I was sixteen. But you're better off, obviously. I'm, I'm assuming from. Well, who knows? The you know sliding doors. But but anyway, I knew I hadn't held them I, I could see yeah, that yeah. they were getting nearly irritated with me and anyway so they said no tat tat next and so anyway that didn't work out and then I didn't really know what to do and it was the late 80s and we just seen self-aid and all this and no one had jobs and I thought I'll get me a job and I thought about law which I think I might have quite liked and then I thought that seems very like specific and I'll get stuck and I'll be a lawyer and like that didn't sound that appealing so I thought I'll do something to just get me some kind of a vague okay. job. Uh, and so I started doing commerce and really, really quickly. Like this, I had, in UC, this in Trinity? This was in UCD. Oh, UCD. I had no interest in accounting. I had yeah. no interest in biz. I had no interest. I didn't actually. And I also was, was pretty, you know, as many students of my era were, it was pretty hardcore kind of lefty, kind of liberal socialisty type. I was learning about how to make like profit margins and stuff. And the whole thing didn't sit with me at all. Yeah. So I knew, I knew then I was, I was going into it. Just three years of that and then seven medicine. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. That's 10 years. Actually it was six, I think. Right. Over. I think it was because I think the internship, you're all, you're in hospital. So yeah, I was nine years. Still in, in UCD. Yeah. But the only good thing was that the um, UCD medicine at the time was in Earlsford Terrace. It was on Stevens Green. Okay. So I moved out of Belfield 
which I found a very boring place, to be honest. And has it stood to you to, at, any, well, at any part of your life since? Now. Right. Now is the only time it's ever stood to me. Because I did it, and then I went into medicine, and became a doctor, and I forgot all about it. Hmm. And then I got a job in current affairs. But I'm actually very comfortable talking about inflation and economics and interest rates and all of that okay. crap. Because... I I studied it for three years. I have a degree in it. So I, I, I can yeah. talk the language of business. Your parents were right. Yeah. You always are, they? Yeah. Uh, that brings us very beautifully, actually, on to the 90s. Yes. And Kira Kelly, your second entry in your recorded history. I did say Steve McQueen was maybe my favorite of the three, but now that I'm looking down at what I've in front of me, I have to maybe. It's a joint first. It's so good. it's 1991. What is your second choice? It's Out of Time by R.E.M. And I remember when this came out. And again, it was back in the time when it wasn't it. Like I had to say, Angela's Ashes, no money. I got this from my brother for my birthday, which came out in March. Mm. My birthday wasn't until the end of April. So I waited because I couldn't afford to buy it. On cassette. On cassette. same here. I had graduated from my ghetto blaster to a Walkman. Excuse me. I had a Walkman now. Not even a Discman. That's why it was still a cassette. And I got the cassette of Out of Time and I played it obsessively. I loved R.E.M. I, I loved them. And I had been listening to Life's Rich Pageant and all these other earlier R.E.M. albums and loved them. And I, it was one of those albums I knew it was, you know, this doesn't really happen anymore to me anyway, maybe to other people where you're waiting for an album to drop and you're like, you're this artist or band that you... Well, Losing My Religion had been out. And again, it was that moment for me when I heard that. It was like, and it kind of like you know what, as somebody who that resonated because mm. I had lost my religion to be honest yeah. because I've been brought up like everybody else as a Catholic mm. and all that kind of business, and now wasn't really anything, um, and I I just loved this album and I played it obsessively and I had a Walkman and I'd play it in the bus. You know, I played in lectures when I was supposed to be listening to them talking about commerce, and I would walk around UCD with my little tiny wire, like like dreadful these, headphones. These tiny with, oh, with sponge, with an orange sponge, yes, maybe or a black sponge. One. I think I had blue sponge oh. on my ears, and a little tiny weedy the metal tinny, thing, little yeah, thin and a little shitty kind of a wire going into my. And if it was wasn't working, you'd have the knack of just if you pull my it out a little bush, bit. Uh, as I recall, Walkman. That's what it was. Yeah. That was the brand. It was probably still really like it wasn't even a Sony. It's <laughs> sort hard, of but it's hard to overestimate the impact of as the, at that age, young age, getting a Walkman. Oh yeah. Or your your first ghetto blaster. Yeah. Uh, your first radio, even uh, or your first Walkman, the the independence. Oh yeah. That gave you away from being tied to what was being I, paid to the house. I can still remember my, my first ghetto blaster, my first yeah. Walkman. I had a job as a lounge girl, and I saved all my tips for like I might have been a year or two because the tips were few and far between. And I bought what was called a three in one. I don't know if you know what that is. Excuse me. That's a a. I had one last night. It was delicious. <laughs> This is without the chicken okay, balls. This is this is um, a cassette player, a radio, and a record player, what? all in one thing. Now it was a little crappy one. It wouldn't yeah. have been a again. It was probably Bush because they were like the they were the, they were, they were your yeah. introduction. Yeah, they were yeah, your gateway yeah, yeah. brand, your gateway drug into music. Um, 
none of your Bosch and Loam. It was all, it was all, do you know what I mean? It was literally the, the cheapest thing. But I remember getting those, so that meant I could now buy vinyl. Yeah. And like these were, these were things. These were like kind of rites of passage for someone like me who was That's into That's the music. word, yeah, rites of passage. Yeah. Massive part of it. Going back to R.E.M., this is their seventh album. And this is the one that kind of set them up for, yeah. for the big time. Um, I think Automatic for the People probably blew everyone's minds but but this one was uh, and as I say I was listening to earlier albums and, and loving them but I was so excited yeah. this was like a treat. it was an event I got it on my birthday on my birthday I went to Golden Discs and got it I got mine a Golden Disc in Cork yeah, well. and do you have any standout songs for, uh, do you still listen to it first of all yeah I do I, well I actually I think probably losing yeah. m- my religion not to, not to it's go still, obvious but it's, it's still got that power. It does. Mm. And and again, some of its power for me is it brings me back. That was 19... So where were you when this is... 19- I was 20. Right. I was finishing commerce. In 1991, I finished commerce and I went into medicine. So I was a, at another seminal kind of change point mm. in my life because I kind of... I didn't really know what medicine was going to hold for me. I, like, I had no way of knowing. But I suspected it was going to change my life and the direction of my life where it had been going. And I was open to that. I was open to setting off a little bomb, do you know what I mean? And changing direction and just seeing, where, quite the, uh, seeing where it took me. An about turn. Yeah, but I, I'm sure I've, it wouldn't be the first time I've done things like that. So, <laughs> so like, sometimes I, I, I wouldn't be risk averse, Okay, yeah. Ed. I kind of sometimes go... Let's throw the chips up. Fucking let's just go for it. Yeah, let's see where they land. Yeah. And, and, and that was kind of what happened when I went into medicine because my parents were right. I wasn't really sure that I was going to like it. It was kind of an idea. I hadn't really got a clue. And I kind of more thought, let's try this different thing. And I had gone to, at the end of pre-med, I went to America for the summer. I had a great time. I did a J1 and it was... What part? I was in Maine. I ended up, I was supposed to be in Boston, but I didn't end up getting a job in Boston. So I traveled north of there, stayed in New England, but up to Maine in a, a little town called Bar Harbor, which is a kind of a quintessentially posh holiday town okay. that wealthy Americans would go to. And New, New England is full of those kind of places. Uh, and I worked there, but I made really good pals there too, some of whom I'm still friends with today that I made, like Americans that I made on that J1. And I remember thinking, I had such a carefree kind of existence and I'd already done a degree and I'd only done one year in medicine and I did consider, will I just not go back? Wow. Will I just not go back? Uh, will I Will I just, I don't have to go back to college for another five That crossed years. your mind, Sia. Oh yeah, it seriously did. And even when I went back into first, after pre-med, you do first med, that whole first med year, I was restless. I was restless and wondering. I'm getting a sense of that. Restlessness. Yeah. I have a bit of a restlessness. Yeah, from you, even as a child, that your mind, you have to be fairly well occupied. I think I have a bit of ADHD, to be perfectly honest. And I'm not being facetious. No, 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 of course, yeah. Uh, It's far more common. It is. And far underdiagnosed and all that. But I had that kind of a restlessness. Now, I got through first year and then I kind of, not knuckled down exactly, but I went. It stuck. Let's keep going. Mm. Um, And as I went on and I got closer to the end, I was... I was very glad I did it. And, I, and I'm to this day very glad I did it. Um, and I really did like being a doctor. But um, it's 1991 to bring us back. That album came out and it was my album of the, of, my album of the year. Oh, it's one of the albums of the decade. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. And then they had a few. You know, yes. to, to me, it, it, I, I saw them live. I've seen them live a few times. I was going to ask you, yeah. yeah I've seen them live in, in various big old things mm. like the RDS and all, but I was one of the lucky people that got to in their... The Olympia. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. Jesus, Kira. 
Did you? Could you believe it? No. Like I remember seeing Morrissey in the Olympia as well and kind of going, Yeah. How can we get so close to these people? Like, what like, was that, 2007? I don't know, like six I'm or seven. bad on the years, but but yes, around then. I spent most of the first 20 minutes of that gig being so hyper aware yeah, of what too. was happening that I I, I didn't hear anything. I, I, I was looking at him going, Am I, is that Michael Stein? Yes. No, I, I don't care. Is that care. Peter Buck? Is that Mike Mills? No, exactly. So obviously you, the exact yeah. same thing, but... but and and for for like twenty year old me who had been such a, a huge REM mm. fan to see them up close and personal, and I love the Olympia anyway. Like I re- yeah. I'm supposed to call it the three Olympia now. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I can. Mm. Um, but to be there was just awesome. I, I read a lovely quote from you actually. Going back, you were a GP for twenty years. Yeah. No, don't worry. It's. I was like, oh goodness, what have I said? It, now? Was, it was on the internet. Oh, so it must be true. Yeah. Uh, so you were a GP for twenty years. This is what you spoke of as your time as a doctor. I trained as a doctor and was in a clinical practice for 20 years, yes. With a big part of my life, there was a small bit of existential crisis leaving it because I did wonder, who would I be if I wasn't Dr. Kira Kelly anymore? I wasn't sure what was left. The role and me were so intertwined, a doctor becomes part of who you are. It's part of your identity in two ways. One is how other people see you. People think about you in a certain way. It also informs your identity in terms of how you see yourself. Mm. Can I ask this then? I, I put it to you. Kira Kelly. I feel like I'm in court. I know, yeah. Suddenly I got a bit like that. Uh, how different is that then from the move you made into the media with the media personality? I mean, you could could you not swap out? I did. I I, I doctor I for juggled both for a long time. Um, from for years. I I the first time I ever did anything in the media, I was it was 2008, and I was nine years juggling or dabbling or whatever you want to call it media work along. You started writing columns for the yeah, Indo and then there was morning television you were yeah, there. Very God you do your research yeah. And, yeah. yeah I did so morning television and then went on to evening television as it were and then did quite a lot of radio and yeah. so I was juggling as I became a film presenter and news talk all that kind of stuff uh, and then I had a weekend show actually on news talk too but in nine years after I started out, I got offered a full time job, and it was really too difficult to do in radio. Yeah, yeah. in news talk. Oh, news talk. Okay. And so it was too difficult to keep them both going. And so then it became a bit like that throwing the chips up in the air thing. I went, Oh gosh, she's back. Will I restless gear? Yeah, will I? Won't I? Will I? Won't I? And so you'd I... be practicing during the day in Greystones, and then it looks, I've got to go. I've... Oh, all the time. I'd literally, or, or I'd either have to say hold that patient and I'd do a phone call into a studio or I would, or equally I would sometimes do this, I would do my morning surgery, drive into RTE or News mm. Talk or somewhere, do some kind of a and, and back something, again. drive back and do an afternoon surgery. So I was juggling at a ridiculous level. So mm. I, at what I mean by ridiculous level as in, I was working constantly. So I was probably doing 90 hours a week-ish mm. between the two. So something had to give. Something had to give. And what was really interesting was that, as we both know, the media, at that level, where you're scrabbling around a little bit, it doesn't pay. It pays nothing, pretty much. So, like, my husband and my family were sort of saying, like, you're wrecked. Something has to give. What will surely give is the one that doesn't pay. Because, and your kids were quite small, young. Yeah. And for whatever reason, part of me understood that and that's the rational and sensible thing and I'm wrecked but I couldn't seem to let it go you got in the bug I caught the bug I got mm. the radio bug specifically not 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 the, televi- the television it's hard like, to explain to people the radio yes. bug in particular yes not the, radio, the television one or the, te- or the newspaper television one. I could take or leave there and, is and, and often I would still turn to, like, like it couldn't be, couldn't be there ours. is a magic 
There is a, there is a magic. It genuinely is. It, it's the instantaneous mm. thing. It's the spontaneous it's thing. The it's the live thing. thing. It's all of that. It's, the, it's conversations like this yeah, yeah. that are real and they are intimate and they're, you say things that maybe you wouldn't say in a different space or something. I can't quite explain it even to myself, but yes, I got bitten by the bug and I didn't really know what to do because I, it didn't make sense what I was doing. I was spread far too thin. But then into my lap dropped a job offer that I went, okay, now I have an option and now I can choose. Okay, so it was... And, and I jumped. And that was a conversation with your husband, Owen, obviously. You didn't just come home and like Jack and the Beanstalk. And... No, no, in fairness, it was my decision because in fairness to him, he went, well, that's up to you. Okay. So no, no one was saying that they should have a say in the decision. Do you know what I mean? Not, not my husband, not my kids. My parents would have... Um, my parents would have both been dead. My, my, I don't mean to laugh. My mum, I'm just wondering now for the first time, my mum only had died three or four months before okay. that happened. So now that I think about it, I wonder. I wonder. Was I going through some kind of a life is short? Do you know what I mean? But, but actually, that's the first time that's I've ever said that out loud. And that's yeah. the first time I've ever even thought that. Because so she passed. She passed. And then in the, in the interim, this offer came in. That was the 26th of May, 2017. And on the 12th or 13th of September, wow. I started work as a radio presenter. That's so, no coincidence. I don't think that. Uh, now that I say it, yeah. I agree with you. But genuinely, I've never connected. Well, there is that sense when, you're, when you are going. That's radio. I've never even thought of that yeah. until now. That's the difference between if you're if there was TV cameras here. I wouldn't be saying you'd be this. A bit more self conscious about it. Oh, a hundred percent. But I think when you and I've lost both my parents, and this is something I've never said out loud either. When my father passed, in particular, I lost my mind for a while. Yeah, me too. Uh, for about three or four months, lost my damn my complete grasp of what I should. Be. I wasn't back. Myself, yeah, I would say for three years after my dad died. Well, it's not that oh, six to 12 months bullshit people tell you. He, my dad dropped dead quite suddenly, and mm. um, so we were not expecting it. Yeah. He was only 66, mm. like it, it, it came from nowhere. I had never, I was 30, like I'd, I'd never given a moment's thought to him being gone. That was another 30, 40 years down the line, oh, as far as you're for sure. Like, mm. so, so I'd never thought about it at all. I also had a new baby I had a, like a, like literally a three month old baby so I was in the baby bubble and suddenly I was not in the baby bubble I was in the death bubble which is a separate and mm. much less pleasant bubble and it like oh I, I, I totally it was awful it was it was the worst time of my life without question mm. I don't think listen we've gone places we weren't expecting no, know, to go at sorry about this now but yeah, that's uh, okay uh, I think you know when for anyone who loses their parent it's it's unique it's a thumbprint for everybody yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a snowflake in so much as everyone reacts differently and it, depending on their history and all the rest of it but for those who were close and you know, awful. as we were with our awful parents, stuff it is something it's like a nuclear I felt like I, I deconstructed and had to reconstruct mm. that's actually what I felt and isn't that interesting that you say in, the, in those terms when your mother passed that you reconstructed as I I have never thought of that yeah. till till this moment you know it was a fresh I'm I'm you know what does it people say I, I I'm this old today <laughs> when I found out I was today years old yeah. Kira, you're getting it wrong I you see I'm too old it's to even know the lingo wrong ah the lingo this is great lingo. Well, it'd be better listen I'd be here all day with you honest to God uh, this brings us on to your third record yes in your recorded history absolutely delighted again for the first time on this podcast. A little bit of Americana, folk and bluegrass. Yeah. And I'm so happy to see it finally 
it's from 2000. So we're in the noughties now. We are. That's what I thought. I thought I'd bring you up to. So now I have kids. Yeah. Uh, now I am. I have a young family. I'm at a totally different stage of life. I'm married. I'm. I'm sort of going. So this is. So this is my life. Mm. I'm kind of looking around like so. I've. You know. It's like so you're moved, firmly embedded in the like you've moved into a new house. World. Oh, which yeah. you actually had done as well. But but like you've. Yeah. No, 2008. Interestingly. Was it a year after? Wasn't it? That's the year I wrote my first article in Sunday Independent. So my life changed again. Wow. Because that year, I think that's probably why I picked all of these to be honest. But this is all—that's that's the whole this point. This is of the all podcast. subconscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that year, I would say that that first article that I wrote changed my life because it was a bit like dropping a pebble into a pond, and the ripples went out. And I didn't—I didn't think the ripples were going to. What carry. was the article? It was called. It was. It had a title, uh, and I actually wrote the headline because I was so media naive. I didn't realize that there were sub editors to write the headline. But actually, normally, if you do write a headline, they just dismiss it because yeah. it's shit. Um, but they kept mine, and it was um, proximity is no substitute for survival, and it was about wow. the, the heady topic of of centralizing cancer care. But it was very controversial at the time because um, they were closing down peripheral hospitals, cancer services. People were protesting in Sligo and Letterkenny and all of these places. And I wrote an article. And bear in mind, we've just come through a pandemic. There are shed loads of doctors in the media. This was back when no doctor would put their head above the parapet. And I basically said, I feel sorry for the people protesting because they don't actually know what they're protesting about because those services are not worth keeping. And they'd be better off getting on a bus or a train or a taxi and going somewhere where they have a fighting chance because cottage hospitals shouldn't be delivering oncology services. And so that was the cat amongst the pigeons. Oh, it was a massive cat among pigeons, mm. which is probably why I have a media career because I got phone calls from the Department of Health about the article, all sorts of things. I got like all sorts of things that I had no idea would happen, happened when I wrote that piece. Uh, and I only wrote the piece by accident. So it was all very chancy. Um, but that 2008 when, when Downside by I Draw Slow came out, oh. I moved in another direction again. Again. <laughs> so which you're going, this is, you're going head tilted into... Well, I didn't know it was, I didn't... I, I, there was no planning in It was like the way I didn't, when I started off into medicine, I didn't really know where it was going to take me. Okay. When I wrote that article, I didn't know where it was going to take me, but it's taken me, I could draw a line from that article to sitting in this chair with you today. Is that amazing? Mm. Life. You don't know where it's and however going. long it took you, 45 minutes or an hour, whatever, you know, you have no idea then. It took me about a week, actually, because I was oh, yeah. absolutely shitting it to write an article because I really felt that I was going to get quite a lot of... I didn't know think it was going to be a particular... Did you know then that you were going to really... Well, I didn't realise the, the extent of it because I had no clue about the media, like none whatsoever. The only thing I knew about newspapers was I bought them and read them, you know what I mean? And I hadn't written anything since like my leaving cert, pretty much by way of an essay sort of a thing. So I hadn't, I hadn't a clue. I had no idea. Uh, I didn't know that I was going to be getting letters and phone calls from consultants around the country telling me to get back in my road. I didn't know I was going to be getting phone calls from like Ocean FM and various radio stations throughout the country going, you come on here and you defend what you're saying, Missy, because who do you think you are? So even your first foray... It won an award. Oh, it like it yeah. like it, like mad things. It was a nice happened. little microcosm of what it was, was kind of crazy. It? And like literally, I got a phone call from the Secretary General of the Department of Health. Jesus, going um, very interesting piece you wrote in the paper, and I I felt like I'd become like I'd crossed some kind of Rubicon into a world that I didn't like, and I hadn't genuinely got a clue. I didn't even know how to write an article. I read other yeah. articles to see what shape an article should be, and I kind of went, okay, it looks like there's an introduction. 
a kind of an argument mm. in the middle and then a kind of conclusion. I went, the inverted pyramid. Is that I was sort of like, I was looking at other things going, I don't even know how to write this thing. Yeah. So. So 2008. Yeah. This is, with all this tumult yeah. in your life, you've chosen for your third record, I Draw Slow, Downside, absolutely stunning. Yeah. I know the lads in the band and the, and the ladies in the band. Louise is my sister-in-law. I should yes. give you full disclosure. Yeah, okay. There we go. Yeah. Ne- a bit of nepotism, nothing wrong with it. Well, it's but not, she, I actually genuinely I did not know that, but love she, this album. She used to work for the Irish Times, did she? Yes, she yeah. did. She was one of the education correspondents. And so Louise and Dave, yeah, obviously brother. Conrad, and then yeah. you've got Colin and Adrian yes. on fiddle. And if anyone hasn't seen them, you know, surprisingly enough, there's quite a, there's a, a lack of bluegrass Americana bands in Ireland, considering, considering our connection with the country scene. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've really gone to the forefront. They're around. But They're really talented. Beautiful. I almost thought of putting in their their latest album because mm. there's a song on their latest album called About a Bird in an Airport. And honestly, that's a song I listen to on a loop. It's on my like Spotify and I play mm. it over and over again. And it's incredibly If you ever see them, you've seen them live. Obviously. I have seen them live. Yeah, yeah. Time. And Louise's voice. Yeah, she's brilliant. They hardly ever, they hardly need microphones, you know, because they're, they're in such unison. They remind me a little bit, not in their style, but of the Carpenters. Yeah. Insofar as that, the, the kind of the, the, or, or a bit like we mentioned Deja Vu earlier, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Those kind of crossover harmonies and, and, and it takes incredible talent to create something so individual and beautiful, I think. There is something called Blood Harmonies, uh, which not that this does exactly what it says on the tin, but the likes of the Everly Brothers is a very famous uh, bluegrass duo called the Leuven Brothers from back in the day. Any brother and sister, as you mentioned the Carpenters, but... Um, because they're related, there's a physiological connection there in their voices. Yeah. And Dave and Louise, when they sing together, it's a magic. There's something. Thing. No, it's, it's something, a magic. Something magic. Thing. Some of the standout. I mean, Lighthouse Daughter on this. Yes. Great song. Straight into Bowling Green. Yeah. So again, when you're listening to this, again, for anyone who hasn't heard, it's called Downside by I Draw Slow. It's out about 15 years now. It's hard to believe, but when you close your eyes and listen to this like any great album or any great band it's transformative and transportative that's a word you're in the Appalachians you are and there's loads you're, of you're in a gingham dress oh, at least I am 100% yeah. well you are and, and for sure I, I'm just in a pair of dungarees but each to their own but but there's like like you, you mentioned this but like there's Santiago which I actually love uh-huh. as a song but I also love like Dead in the Morning that mm. kind of yeah like I'm not going to try and sing it but but I love there's loads of it's not all one thing do you know what I mean no it is a journey yeah. You know, there's, there's dark and light, yeah. as there should be. So again, great and beautiful choice and great to see an Irish band on here. Yeah, you know. I kind of wanted to do that. But I was also, again, I was trying to think of a time in my life. And I another song that really, I noticed as well my my taste. Like, like I wouldn't have listened to Americana very much when this I was young. This yeah, is very much reflective of my own. I've drifted towards this yes, bluegrass exactly. Americana as I've gotten older. Exactly. And I don't know what that says, but like there's a song, um, a Dixie Chick, not the, they're not the Dixie Chicks anymore, the they're chicks, the Chicks, yeah. which is a terrible name and I understand why they did it and all of that, but I'm not sure it works. Um, it's not a song by the Dixie Chicks, it's a song by, by, by Steve Nicks, Landslide, but, but the lyrics of that I would have been listening to around the same time as this or a little bit earlier in my early 30s. Um, it's I've been afraid of changes because I spent my whole world thinking about you, but life makes you bolder. Children get older. Mm. I'm getting older too. Yeah. I had a sense when I was in my early 30s, as I say, that I, I had kids relatively young, young for nowadays. Like, oh, what was I, 27 or 28 when I had my first one? Um, 
And so I had two kids by the age of 30 and, right. then, I, and then I had two more. So I like I was coming down with, with like, the old woman in the shoe. And like I had a sense of that, like this is a new phase of life. Yeah. And it made me think about aging, not in a, not in a tragic, upsetting kind of a way, but I was kind of going, this is some, something has changed. I'm, I'm a mother. I'm, I'm all of these things. And I, I noticed I list, was listening to different music. I was listening to more female singers. I was listening to, as you say, yeah, more bluegrass or Americana, those kind of more folky mm. songs that maybe told that story. Do you know what I mean? I think, yeah, for me, and, and that's very similar to my own, I think I've drifted because I went through the, I'm, I'm a 90s brat, so like Nirvana, yeah. Purge, all that noise. Yeah. And then the bit of 90s dance, Britpop, all that. Yeah. Into the noughties. Loved them too. I was in my of kind of early 20s. I just think loved you, them. You just want to put your feet up. You want to put your yeah, ears, feet bit. up. <laughs> and do you know what I've done? It's like the thought of Neiman Air going to a nightclub. Oh, yeah. And you're going, oh. Yeah, no, I know. Like, the noise is great. I yeah. think it's just... So you're listening in a different way at a different time, maybe you, in your house, yeah. in your home, in your you kitchen. You need different nutrients now and you need different vitamins to yeah. bring it to a medical. So your body and your soul needs nourishment from a different yes. source. Yeah, you're and right. I, and I think there's a wholesomeness and I don't mean to be condescending towards the genre because I think it's up there with one of the greats. There's a directness to um, Americana and folk and country and especially the new wave like Chris Stapleton Yeah, all these get right to the matter and the meat of the bone with just guitar and a, and a beautiful voice. And the stories they tell, you know, you just don't want any of the noise and nonsense. But they're not but telling the stories necessarily of uh, that we were listening to in their teens. That's what I was talking about, that no. kind of yearning. No. They're telling stories of of more your domestic pathos yeah. or something. That's what country has always done. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and I don't mean that I was having a pathos time. I, I don't mean that. But I was at a different stage of life and I found myself drawn to different music. And that's what music is, though. That's the joy. That's the absolute fucking joy of music. That no matter what mood you're in, you can literally select yeah. the music. It's like the old DJs that have a cart. Yes, you can reflect the mood. And, yeah, you know. and I always feel that and I often think nothing, nothing can move me like music. Like, like I could go to theatre and I'm a bit of a Luddite and a lot of it I think probably goes over I my head. I cannot get on with theatre. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think I'm too much of a, a child of, of film and cinema mm, and things mm, like mm. that. So, so uh, you know, I, I'm too lowbrow for it. It just goes over my head. I just can't stop seeing the overacting and then I'll see some lad on the side of the stage holding a prop Yeah, and I'm going, where did you get these runners? Yeah, so it's and I'm like, oh, that woman beside we're, me. We're of we're of a oh, mind. So, so, I'm not built for it. But also, even art galleries, and and I mm. do actually love paintings, and I'll stare at no, them. I get bored, and I'll kind of go, "This is lovely," but I notice I'm always the fastest person oh, I'm around the room. I'm in and out. Dum, dum, dum. Boom, boom, boom. Whereas music has a wholly different effect on me. Music, I would lose myself in. It I demands could lose your myself in music, yeah. and and there are certain things, and I'm I'm again, I'm I'm not saying I'm highbrow because I'm not, but I'll listen to somebody like. Max Richter and I will be like my heart is going to burst in my chest listening to this. I I feel like I'd go into battle or I could I could lay down and die or something. Do you know like it's it's a weird thing and yeah. and, and I can't explain. Have it. you we'll go back to where we're supposed to be going and we don't have to know but do you think do you think first of all my there's a two powder this is your favorite type of question. The time you've spent in the media specifically and I suppose the slings and arrows that that has brought mm. for you. And what I'm getting at is that you're misunderstood, do you feel, 
I know. I like. I, I wouldn't be that precious about yeah. myself that I'd be like, oh, I'm just misunderstood. I wouldn't be. Although I do sometimes hear myself described, and I think it's not how I see myself. But but that's neither kind of here nor there. Yeah. There, What's you know, the perception of you? Do you think? Probably the word most commonly used, I would guess, would be opinionated. Would it be? Oh, I suppose. Yeah. Is that is that? Uh, yeah. Would I, you I, use a different one? No, no. I just yeah. I suppose that now that you say it. I, like I, I get asked about that a lot. Is that um, because you're a woman? Do you think that you... Um, I I definitely think if I was a man, it would be less noticeable that I have opinions because mm. I think we accept opinions from men more easily. And I have never understood, and I don't know if it's the medical thing or I don't know if it's a personality thing, but first of all, when I was a doctor... You are kind of an authority as a doctor, right? So when someone asks you something, you you, you tell them you what you think. <laughs> and so that's quite a normal way of carrying on in my previous mm. profession that kind of carried through into this. And also, you tell people what you honestly think. Am I, am I going to get it better? You wouldn't say yes if the answer was no. You'd pick your words very carefully. Mm. but you, you So you say unpalatable things sometimes. But it demands because, a certain stridency, yes. surely. So, yeah. so tact I would hope there too and sensitivity and all that stuff but you would definitely say things that you that you not only wouldn't shy away from but you couldn't shy away from it would be irresponsible to shy away from so so I, I didn't realise that it was see I'm no I'm no politician Ed and I, I didn't realise how unusual it was to actually when you get asked a question to answer it because it turns out that most people are, are cleverer than me and tiptoe around things and, and manage to avoid answering things whereas I just bloody well answered But here's a, here's a, again I was I, definitely someone who was but I don't think you'd be I, I'd here. be a witch I don't think you'd be I, sitting I would have been burnt I don't think you'd be ago. sitting here at the very zenith of your career right now oh. appearing on Recorded History with me you've peaked Kira Kelly but I don't think you'd be downstairs with Shane every morning if you did hold back or yeah, you know maybe, kind of maybe not. Molly Coddle it or take a step sideways or if you overthought it, I think. Oh, I don't. I, to be honest, I don't think about it at all. Yeah. Because I think if I think about it, it would, it would, make me second guess myself, and I have no real interest in doing yeah. that. To be honest. And your engagement with social media, you're off Twitter now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Never. That became just. Oh, so so toxic. So toxic. And yeah. and that certainly I I know because I read things <laughs> that I was. I used to laugh and think, you know, that that also young person then go like, show me the receipts. People would say all sorts of things about me, but amazingly, never, never actually quoted me directly because the things that that were said that I said. Would you go I, down a rabbit hole of no. just looking at comments and replies? No. I no, you just wouldn't. No. And has your life improved without Twitter? Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah uh, um, um, immeasurably. I, the thing is, this is you have to recognize at some point that you are not getting a fair shout as in and i'm not and i'm not saying that oh, in a poor wee way but when you when when you have a platform that is not just to do with me to do with lots of people involved with, like there's people on there looking to just score points all the time so no matter what you say you're damned if you do you're damned mm. if you don't you could say two polar opposite things and they'd both be wrong do you know what i mean so i um yeah i i i think the sooner that x Dies a death. I think of this the other day. And I, I think it will die a death because I, I think enough people have left it because they, they don't do like it. Fear? And also because of all the changes that are being brought in that the people who are there still also don't like. I think it's probably... I find the if... No, I, I, I was a lot more vociferous on it as a younger man throwing my very rusty two cents around the place and just like... <laughs> meh, 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 and then... Yeah, got me nowhere really, you know. And I'm, now I've taken a little step back. I just made the odd plug about the podcast, and I 
I do go to it for news and football updates and all the crack and some very funny people. Yeah, there are some funny people. And, um, but I was thinking if it does, if its demise isn't exaggerated and it does finally come to an end, I was thinking it would be better for the world, really. Where would these people go then? I don't know, but I do think that it has caused as much harm I think so. as good, if not, if not more so. I think a lot of people... Uh, I'd go say, I, yeah. I think there's an awful lot of people on there deeply unhappy and they go there to shout. I don't it's think... like shouting in the town It's square. a modern malaise in so much as if Twitter had been around in the 50s. Oh, I'm... And the 40s and Can you imagine Ooh. what would be said about a woman such as yourself, for example, expressing well, just, her opinion. It just about would have this. been said a lot quicker. I'd just, oh, but if here. They had, if they had Twitter. I'm telling you, in, it'd go, be back worse. To, go back to the 1750s. I would have been on a stake. Even the 80s and 90s. Like, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, we, I grew up in a very cold house for women, as in, I don't mean my own house, but in Ireland, that yeah, was yeah, a cold so. house for women. And I think we are only a couple of steps away from that, really. Well, I think they can, they can barely tolerate you having an opinion at all. Mm. But if you have an opinion, if you have the temerity to have an opinion that they don't actually agree with, if if they're if you're saying what they like, they're still a bit iffy about it. But if you're not saying what they like, and and I am somebody who the neck is the will other. will always say what I think. That's my fucking problem, isn't it? I say what I Would think. Would you ever just maybe pipe down? <laughs> do you ever think about? Yeah. Do you know what the funny thing is? I do actually see you saying, "Do I look at social media?" No, I don't. But I do see sometimes like news talk will put up clips of things I say oh, yeah. and there will be always like, comments, people d- agreeing or disagreeing or whatever. But there's always someone to say, why, why is she always talking? If, if you understand what I do for a living? The fundamental <laughs> lack of understanding of how radio <laughs> works. Do you understand something... that I get paid to go on air for two hours yeah. every day and they will clip a bit of it. I don't know which bit they're going to clip, by the way, ever. Mm. And that appears online sure, somewhere. Un- nothing that, to do with that's me. That's how it works. I know, but they're like, she always talking about something. Because I go to work every day. What do you do? Do you work? Where Where do you work? Imagine you worked in, in a milk yeah, parlor yeah, yeah, yeah. and you, you didn't milk. Like, yeah. why well, is it still milk? Why are you cows? always taking milk out of cows? I'm a dairy farmer. But you have to do it. I know. But it's yeah. And it does kind of make Get me laugh. Get over yourself. I know. It does kind of make oh, me laugh. Look. Do you, this is a very important question now, now that we've dealt with the lightweight stuff, <laughs> uh, karaoke, what's your karaoke song? Oh, I have a few karaoke songs. I, I, I've done all the I, I Will Survives yeah. back in the day. But if I was doing karaoke right now, Ooh. if you and I were in a karaoke I'm bar. I'm interested now to hear this. When it began, whoa. No way, Neil Diamond. Yeah, I good do. Voice. You've I got do, a good voice. I would do Sweet. I used to be in a band. I would do, you wouldn't okay. even get, we didn't okay. even hit any scratch on the surface. Um, I, I would have, uh, I would have, I would definitely do Sweet Caroline. I fucking love that song. Yeah. And I know that it's kind of, Chavy, Englishy, uh, like it it's doesn't been, take it, away from the song. We can't blame the song. Hands touching. Listen hands. to you, Kira Kelly. Do you still sing yeah, in the choir? No, no. I, I was always, I was kind of um, too much of a disappointment to be allowed in the church choir in the end. But anyway, um, no. But I would have sung in bands. All what through. was the name of the bands? No, oh, I don't even want to tell you. They were all shit. Come on, we've come this far. They're all terrible. They're Just give me one one little, band's name. Um, the, there was one called the Foxy Minibus. I don't even right I didn't, on that bunch. I didn't come off with that name, by the way. It was Jesus, really fucking in the Bagot Inn and all those kind of places. You know, back back in the day, and the in, in, in college, minibus. in in the bar, and in yeah. in UCD, and in the Buttery actually in Trinity too, and places like like those kind of like bottom rung kind of places. The Foxy Minibus. I know. Oh my. Desperate. Goodness. 
But yeah, sweet Caroline. Uh, I know you have to go. I can hear your helicopters just arrived. Well, I, I hope so. On the balcony outside. So um, before you run out, take your helicopter home. To your compound in Grace. Well, I, you yeah, Kellybunkport. Kellybunkport, yeah. I yeah. call it. So you can only pick one of the three albums for your recorded history to bring home with you. Which one is it? I'm going to say for purely nostalgia reasons, Steve McQueen. Oh, great choice. Kira Kelly, that has been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks, Ed. And sharing your recorded history. So there she goes, as the lads would sing. Kira Kelly, you can hear Kira with Shane Coleman every morning on News Talk Breakfast from 7am and read her in the Sindo each week. And if you're lucky, belting out some Neil Diamond in a karaoke joint near you. Anyways, I really hoped you enjoyed our chat and the insight into some of her own favourite records. You'll join me next week and every Sunday after that. If you want to check out any of Kira's choices or indeed anything that might tickle your eardrums, I would absolutely love it if you did so by way of our splendid sponsors at therecordhub.com. Without them, we're an empty shopping bag twisting in the wind. Next week, I'm in conversation with Mr. July himself, Monday. I've been Ed Smith. This has been Recorded History. Now hit the old subscribe button and become a weekly listener if you don't mind. But above all that, subscribe to yourself. You're a proper decent skin. Good luck. Go Loud presents Recorded History. Hosted, produced and researched by me, Ed Smith, at Go Loud Studios. The show was created and executive produced for Go Loud by D. Ready. Our series is proudly supported by TheRecordHub.com your local Irish and online record store.